0: Chris Gowser here with Matt Howell. And on this episode of The First Run, Matt, it's the latest film from Edgar Wright. Probably a first-run favorite director, right? I don't think he's made a film that I haven't loved yet. And I think, Matt, you fall under that same umbrella, right? Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, Scott Pilgrim, World's End, Baby Driver, all
1: top-shelf stuff. I agree. Yeah, I think the only weakest one he had was uh, The World's End. And And, even that was still really good.
0: Yeah, and sometimes I think that's his best kind of film. As a Because of a maturing director. We'll see what happens when he switches genres with Last Night in Soho. And then to almost no fanfare whatsoever, the horror film Antlers gets released in the theaters. We'll be discussing that. Our Body Horror Marathon comes to a close with Dead Ringers from David Cronenberg. And as always, we'll tell you what's coming up on Physical Media, featuring your straight-to-DVD and streaming picks of the week. And unfortunately, too... Or for, unfortunately, fortunately, because it depends on your point of view. We're going to do our Body Horror Marathon Awards as well. So let's start everything off with a clip from Last Night in Soho.
2: Miss Silla Black. Hello,
0: you're a gorgeous creature. What's your name? Sandy. Go to join my friends and
2: I, Sandy. Thanks, but I'm here to meet the owner. I am the owner. Oh, I doubt that. I'm whatever you want me to be, Sandy. Don't your poison, miss? I'm not here to drink, actually. I want to speak to the owner. The owner's not in tonight. What do you want to speak to them about? I want to be your new headline act. Where have you played before? Nowhere. Who starts at the Café de Paris? Me. I can take your name if you want, but maybe you should speak to Jack in the meantime. Jack? Over there? The guy standing next to Stella Black. He manages a lot of girls.
0: Last Night in Soho, Matt, we have themes of female exploitation. There's camera tricks, fashion, time travel, horror, slashers, uh, gorgeous stuff here.
1: Why don't you tell the fine folks at home what is Last Night in Soho all about? So, a young woman who lives in the countryside of England decides that she desperately wants to be a fashion designer and moves to a fashion school or a design school in London. Um, she quickly finds out that it's not really for her, at least being in the dorms is not for her. So, she decides to go out and find a flat on her own. Um, it also bears noting that this woman is um, potentially sensitive to supernatural things. And as she moves into her new apartment, she starts having visions of a particular woman uh, in the past. So, Matt, we opened up the show talking about Edgar Wright's filmography, his over
0: if you will. And I've enjoyed, as I said, all of his films. And they've always brought this kind of fun, kind of kinetic energy to them, right? And just, a, just a, a joy to watch. So what are your thoughts on Last Night in Soho? Because for me, this is like a, a hard dogleg turn, right? This is very different than anything I've seen from Edgar Wright before
1: and did it work out yeah this is very different this i'm not as well versed in giallo Is my pronouncing it correctly as you are but that's what this seems like it's like his homage to that Mm -hmm. i think you're right it is very different than what he's done before it doesn't have the kind of frenetic um, kind of propulsive pace that just kind of grabs you and pulls you in i can say i was pretty on board with this thing for the first two-thirds of the film i think it doesn't quite hold together as well and towards the end, especially as we get towards the turn. But I think overall it's a relatively successful exercise, though I'm not sure that I like it as much as I hoped I would or expected Ye- to. Yeah.
0: So I've been struggling with this film since I watched it because I agree with you. I think it's a loving homage to those Yala films. It captures... A basically non-existent swinging 60s in London. The fashion, the dancing, the people, the parties, all of that stuff, right? It's incredibly interesting. And what Wright's able to do, too, with these different camera tricks, which I think we have to owe some of this to Chung Hoon Chung, who is the uh, cinematographer. Really fascinating stuff, how he shoots this thing with the uh, use of reflections And where, you know, the shot will be Thomas and McKenzie and then Anya Taylor-Joy and they'll kind of switch places and interact in this kind of dream nightmare fantasy world and really, really cool stuff. And I will say, too, that some really interesting performances, particularly for Thomas and McKenzie, who we were familiar with, Matt, from Leave No Trace, which is a fantastic small little film. Uh, If you haven't checked that out, you should definitely see it. One of the most kind of human and naturalistic performances I think you'll see in the past decade. But either way, I'm still struggling with it, Max. It's missing something, right? And in the end, I think it's what you said. It's that Edgar Wright's natural propulsion that he has in his films, the joy that you have while watching these movies, that is entirely jettisoned in this film. And this is more of a, I don't know if I want to use the term mainstream, we'll say traditional, Uh, film from him that kind of doesn't have those quick edit cuts, right? And those sweeping camera movements and all the different things he's previously known for. So it does have some of his his, uh, stuff, particularly I think that second probably to just Tarantino, that Wright is the king of needle drops. He does some fantastic work integrating the music. Not like he did in Baby Driver, where the music is actually almost... Like another cast member in that film, but still the integration here is seamless and fascinating when it works through the films. Uh, But it there are some issues. At first, I didn't think I liked it, but that's because I had an expectation of what an Edgar Wright movie is, and that's not what this is. So the more I've sat with it, the more I've I've seen. I think I like it now. Do you think that's part of the issue for you is that you're going in expecting an Edgar Wright movie and that's not what you get here?
1: No, I don't think so. I mean, I, I, this thing was billed as what Edgar Wright's horror movie kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And I was expecting something, I think a lot more straightforward with that. What I really think it is, is I don't know if he has as good a grasp of kind of the, what's cliche in those films, like what is, what makes those films work as he has in some of his past. So I, I feel like he's in, weaker territory from a from a cinematic like a storytelling practice. Like I think he doesn't have the shorthand like he does for a lot of his other films. I think
0: that's fair. Because there one of my notes is that I think that Wright falters with some of his story beats in a couple of his characters. Like Matt Smith Jack is a characterization, right? He's not a full-fledged character. And I think the film suffers from that. And it he also kind of superficially covers some of these heavy topics, human trafficking, right? Which only really, I think, exists in the end to justify the film's final reveal. And then it uses that to kind of, it it mines women's trauma for these kind of minor thrills and I think an underdeveloped sense of horror. I think if anything for me is that this is not really a, a horror film, even though that's kind of how I would heard it was billed as well. It is more of kind of a, I don't know, it's slasher, thriller, but it's not even that. And also, I think it's hurt by some of its character designs, particularly for me, the demon, ghost, souls, or whatever these are, these men that are haunting Thomas and McKenzie's character throughout the film. They felt to me, Matt, like... 90s era creep show zombie demon guys like that's like the effect i got from that outside of he would triple weigh them almost like if you're looking through you know like 3d glasses the old school ones and it's just i don't know there was something
1: very unintimidating about them
0: because of the their design
1: yeah, it does seem kind of like your typical faceless, eyeless, you know, kind of spooky shorthand thing. I, I mean, does this, now again, I'm not very familiar with Giallo, is this kind of the story beats? Is this the kind of thing that you would see in those type of films? I know the color, <laughs> that kind of thing, and the set dressing seems to be right, but what about the actual story itself?
0: Yeah, I mean, you have the, 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 the woman in the unfamiliar setting trying to kind of find her way, something stalking her. A lot of the big things too, there's always like leather gloves involved. I'm not quite sure what what that's about. Uh, but yeah, it it has those trappings, but I think it's, I think Wright is more focused on the 60s setting than he is honoring that particular genre. Or at least that's what I got out of it. Mm. I don't know. I think he does a relatively good job subverting your expectations with some of the reveals. Uh, I don't know if all of them hit with the force that he expects them to. But I think he does some – the dodges here, I think, are pretty successful for the most part. I don't want to dig too much into it to swell it for anybody who sees it. Uh, But I don't know, Matt. How did you feel about that with the – not just a final reveal, but the one with, you know, Jack's character about halfway through the film?
1: Yeah. I mean, it felt a little forced. It felt a little clumsy. Um, Again, I feel like he – which is strange to say for a director this far outside of – into his career – and just how much I've liked and how confident he has in presenting his films. I Again, I just don't think this is really his wheelhouse. It seemed to be something outside of his comfort zone, which I commend him for trying to do, but I, I just don't think it was completely like, successful.
0: Yeah. For me, Matt, it was kind of a frustrating experience because I think there's a lot to like in this movie, right? But it just, mm-hmm. it feels so kind of lacking and slight at some points that it's all kind of superficial. Right. And that the story and everything that the undergirding of the film is just not as, it's not as strong as I think it should be. And it, it, it's too bad. It's, it's a little disappointing for me because of that. And like I said, I've softened on it than I, when I, from when I first walked out of the theater because I think that I'm looking for an Edgar Wright movie like I've seen before, and that's not what this is. And as I said, Mackenzie's great. I think Anya Taylor-Joy has some really great moments in this. Diana Rigg, this is her last performance on screen. I think she is quite good as well. I don't know. Like I said, Matt Smith is just almost a non-presence in this film. He exists basically as a as a uh, jump scare half the time, right? And, of course, I always love Terrence Stamp. Whenever Zod shows up, I think you're going to have uh, at least an interesting performance out of him. But
1: I can't—I
0: uh, don't know, Matt. I, I keep vacillating between C-plus and B-minus, and I really think I'm sitting at C-plus.
1: Yeah, I think I'm not as harsh on it. I think this will definitely be one of those films that I'll end up picking up because mm. I like the director. It'll be a part of the kind of collection of, you know, his work. And I think it'll be just one of those weird outlier films. It'll be like the curiosity in his in his pantheon. I think all directors kind of seem to have some of those as you go along. Sure I think for me, I give it a B minus.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know what? yeah i think that's right i'm gonna as a man of no integrity i am gonna go go with that b minus as well because i said i've softened i've liked it more than i did when i first walked out of it and i do part of you do wants to check it out again i think there's a lot in here to like it's just a little messy and it's a little slight so fair enough we've got a chance to see you last night in soho Shoot us an email at feedback at thefirstrun.com. Man, Edgar Wright has, like, no luck at the box office. Has any of his movies really just made a ton of money? I don't think any of them have really blown up at all.
1: Yeah, I don't think so, which makes me interested because looking at what he's got coming up, his in-production now is a, is a remake of The Running Man or a different adaption of The Running Man, which will be really interesting to see. And then I see deep down, he's, he's, gonna, he's planning on making Baby Driver 2, which also I find crazy. That's a little troublesome considering the uh, issues we're having with Ansel
0: Egger at this point mm. in his life. Well, all right. I shouldn't talk. Baby Driver was made for $34 million and it cleared 227 Oh, okay. So uh, that's pretty good. I just remember maybe it was Scott Pilgrim, was I disappointed with, or was it Hot Fuzz? I can't remember. Yeah, Scott Pilgrim. Ooh. Ooh. 60 to, 80, 60 to 85 was the budget, and it made uh,
1: 49 yeah, I, yeah, Scott. Which is a damn shame.
0: Yeah, is that one of your favorite films? I feel like it is.
1: It is. It's so much fun. I really enjoy that film. Yeah. It's underappreciated. Absolutely. All right. Speaking
0: of things that just are not performing very well, let's spend a few minutes and talk about antlers.
2: Um, Lucas, did they tell you at the hospital? Tell me what. Your dad died. He's not dead. Yeah, he is, Lucas. My brother Paul. He found him in your house. No. That was my old dad. The one who was sick and mean. My new dad is with Aiden. But Aiden doesn't understand. And he needs me. I just have to feed him, and he'll love me.
0: What? Scott Cooper brings us, Matt, the film Antlers, based on the uh, story The Quiet Boy by Nick and Tosca, produced by Guillermo del Toro, featuring America's sweethearts, Carrie Russell and Jesse Plemons. Matt, there is a young boy whose father encounters something in these minds of a small town in Oregon that is slowly taking over this town. I don't want to reveal too much because I think part of the thrill of this film is, as things progress, and I really think, Matt, this could have maybe even been a body horror nomination for us in some capacity, but Antlers is a fantastic example of the power of mood. It's been a while, Matt, since I walked out of a screening just sad. I mean, this is a morose, ominous affair, and it is, I think, exceptionally strong stuff here. What did, What were your thoughts on antlers?
1: Yeah, I was really impressed with its kind of, uh, like you said, sense of mood and this kind of creeping dread that that permeates everything. I think the creature design is pretty scary. Uh, They show show you just enough um, and they keep it kind of hidden in shadow so it doesn't look too fake. I think the performances are pretty good for the most part. And I, I like that kind of whole building of suspense and like a mythology that's kind of below the surface. It's not without its... It, has, it does have some flaws to me, but overall I thought it was pretty effective. It's not like a jump scary for the most part. No. It is really more of like a, an oppressive um, kind of film, something like, you know, again, like something like, I don't know, the, let the right one in, that same kind of like mood that permeates everything.
0: Yeah, uh, absolutely. This is some top shelf creature design, especially once a creature I think kind of takes its final form. This thing is really disturbing looking. There's this one scene too, Matt. Uh, is just one of the more ugh, like chill, kind of inducing things that I've seen this this year. Absolutely, so it is all so heavy, but that's fine. You just need to prepare yourselves for a bleak experience if you watch this. Now, I does I do think it's not without its flaws, right? I think it's another film about you know trauma and dealing with loss and blah blah blah. We seem to be a lot of that lately, um, but I think it is at times, highly effective, and I think it's buoyed by the strong performances by Kerry Russell uh, and uh, platman's more so Russell. And really, it's just crushing color palette. I think that, that along with the unsettling score by Javier Navarrete, who did um, Pan's Labyrinth, really, the score and the palette, the never-ending rain it's just an oppressing film. Now, it does kind of clumsily, I think, lumber along to its an inevitable and unfortunately obvious I think conclusion but I think still it's, it's an experience worth watching I think Antlers is really if you're looking for some new and unique horror and something for a creature you haven't really seen before you should definitely check out Antlers and I am really disappointed in Searchlight Pictures because there has been like no fanfare really no promotion for this thing whatsoever they just dropped it into theaters with nary like a commercial I haven't seen anything I'm lying for this thing at all. And it's really too bad because this is very effective stuff. You're going to feel horrible, (laughs) but it's great, right? I mean, you you want to see what turns people into monsters, you know, theologically, metaphorically, whatever. And you want to see a kick-ass monster? Antlers, I think, is well worth your time. Just prepare yourself. You're going to need, I don't know, listen to like one of your favorite songs. Pop on some David Boy Let's Dance or uh, Pet Shop Boys all over the world, which is one that always does it for me, in case you're wondering. Listen to that one. Tell me you can be in a good mood after listening to that one. It's all around the world. I can't even get the name right. Either way, Antlers, Matt, I'm giving it a B. The power of
1: mood. What are you giving, Antlers? Yeah, I'm giving it a B as well. I do think... I've seen some ads on it on the, on the, on the TV, so there is some push for it. And you got to remember, this thing was supposed to come out in, like, the February doldrums when it was initially supposed to come out. So they probably didn't have a lot of faith in it to begin with. But it is sad that, that, especially since it was a Halloween release, that they didn't really push it harder. But unfortunately, it is what it is. I mean, horror films, they seem to kind of thrive on word of mouth. So I guess that's what it's going to have to live or die on.
0: Yeah, I think real – I don't know, I mean to, to gatekeep. They say real ho- horror fans, I think, did make an effort to check this out. So I appreciate that because I want to see stuff like this. I want to see different alternate takes on different folklore and their horror. Like the, the Curse of La Llorona, right? The The Conjuring film that is just abysmal. Mm. But I want to see that stuff. I want to see other cultures' horror stuff because it's, it's, it's a, I think, vastly undertapped – a reservoir of stories we could really work with here so i have to support this p- stuff folks if you haven't seen the theaters make sure you rent it antlers and as we should say last night in soho are both exclusively playing in theaters right now matt let's talk a few minutes about what's coming up on physical media this upcoming tuesday november 9th i think maybe my nomination for the worst film i've seen this year theatrically
2: will you tell me something i've been wondering about before you performed last night, you were crying. Why? I was my memory. Shouldn't you have just seen the things I was looking at? Close your eyes. It's a little demonstration to answer your question. So, you have a boyfriend or someone you involved oh, with? What is that? Answered the question. Eyes nice closed. No. I'm not involved right now. And for the purposes of this experiment, we'll use something more elemental. Your first kiss. Picture that moment. Charlie Mulvaney. Okay, the way young Charlie approached. And the kiss itself. Not just the beginning, the whole kiss the moment you break away. And by the end, you saw yourself as well as him, didn't you? Happens with everyone.
0: So, Matt, Wolverine and Miss Dune. That's right. Hugh Jackman, Rebecca Ferguson, star and Lisa Joy's Reminiscence, which we covered on episode 568. She is one of the writers and creators of Westworld. And Reminiscence, Matt. Not good. Not good. Anything you'd be revisiting
1: anytime soon? No, I don't. But I'm just... Were you surprised at all? I had like zero confidence for this film. Yeah, no. I No,
0: I don't know. I thought Westworld's supposed be, I, I think i am watched six episodes of the first season so far. <laughs> 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 it's a pretty popular show. I thought it might be maybe something. I don't know. Call me maybe. All right. Respect. Respect. The life story of legendary R&B singer Aretha Franklin featuring Jennifer Hudson is being released as well. Old Henry, a uh, Western is coming out, an action Western about a farmer who takes an injured man with a satchel of cash. When a posse comes for the money, he must decide who to trust, Matt. Defending a siege, he reveals a gunslinging talent calling his true identity into question. Oh, I love all those kind of old Westerns, or at least those movie thrillers with the old guy who you don't really know who he is, and he turns out to be some ultimate badass. Mm-hmm. Good times. The HBO documentary, Tina. About Tina Turner is getting a physical release. My Salinger Year featuring uh, current Hollywood it girl, Margaret Coyley, along with living legend Sigourney Weaver. A college grad takes a clerical job working for the literary agent of the renowned reclusive writer, J.D. Salinger. Salinger. How do you say that? Salinger? Kidding. Yeah, four Good Days. Glenn Close, Mila Kunis, and Steven Root star. A mother helps her daughter work through four crucial days of recovery from substance abuse. Val. Finn is a wanted criminal, Matt, and he hides out with an escort named Val, who is a demon. Val offers to make her his problems disappear if he follows her rules. She's been expecting him all along, and it won't be easy to escape Val's dungeon. Coming home in the dark, a schoolteacher is forced to confront a brutal act from his past when a pair of ruthless drifters takes him and his family on a nightmare road trip. Welco USA is releasing the Emperor's Sword. During a time of peace, a deadly sword that bestows greater power upon its wielder was divided and hidden. After the Emperor dies, a deranged rebel seizes power and stages a massacre during his search for the blade, leaving only one survivor. Now, the young daughter of a great general is all that stands between a tyrant and his quest for domination. Bad Candy? It's about a local Halloween story of of both myth and lessons learned in the community of New Salem. With its annual Psychotronic FM Halloween show, reenactment radio, DJs Chili Billy and Paul, with the tales of the supernatural of years gone by. In this small town, it's a grimy ending for most. But will a few good souls survive? New to Blu-ray, Matt, the Steve Martin, I think I can say this, classic, L.A. Story is being released. I don't think this has been in print for a long time. Warner Archive is releasing a bunch of films. Uh, first up, you have Fritz Lang and Spencer Tracy in Fury. Stephen Sondheim's and Anthony Perkins' The Last of Sheila. Barbara Stanwyck stars in Ladies They Talk. Kina Lorber is releasing three films featuring W.C. Fields, the classic The Bank Dick, The Old Fashioned Way, and It's a Gift. Idiot Films is releasing The Chinese Boxer, a new remaster of this one. The Golden Age of Kung Fu Films' first superstar, Jimmy Wang Yu, even before Bruce Lee, Matt, wrote direct and starred in his classic favorite of a noble young martial arts suit who won't give up no matter how many bloodthirsty Japanese killers he faces. There's an audio commentary, some new interviews as well. Mania Killers coming from Full Moon, featuring Bo Svensson, Chuck Connors, and Robert Ginty. Mondo Macabro is releasing It's Nothing Mama, Just a Game with a brand new 4K restoration. And then we have Human Animals from Mondo Macabro as well. Gets a 4K restoration on that one. That one, Matt, is sitting in the aftermath of a cataclysmic nuclear war that has destroyed most of the world's population, Human Animals tells of three survivors, a woman and two men who wake up in a strange, deserted landscape with no memory of their past lives and without the ability to even speak. The woman and one of the men appear to be brother and sister, and both are dressed in formal party clothes. The man is very different, though, Matt, a mustachioed, weather-jacketed, macho type. I call him the Matt type. One more train to rob from Code Red is being released. Harker Flett and compatriots Timothy X. Nolan and Katie, along with three other men, steal forty grand in money and jewelry from a California train in the gold mining country of the 1880s. Getting some UHD releases, Matt. I think this is $15 right now. I was going to pull the trigger on this, but I'm sitting tight for Black Friday. Though I will admit, I did buy for $10 bucks each because I think, what am I going to save? Another dollar or two? Uh, I got 4Ks of... Wonder Woman 1984. I know, I know. And Nobody, the Bob Odenkirk film. Oh. But you can now pick up, and I think right now it was 15 bucks on Amazon, at least when I was writing down this note, The Ten Commandments, the uh, Charlton Heston classic, The Outsiders, The Addams Family, the 1977 The Hills Have Eyes, and then a re-release of the animated film Batman Year One, which may be my favorite Batman story. And everybody likes The Dark Knight Returns as I dropped my pen, but Batman Year One is the one for me. Your straight-to-DVD pick of the week, Matt. I'm going to go with A Gift from Bob. And the first thing it wrote up under it was, sequel to the feature film A Street Cat Named Bob. But I did a little more digging, Matt. And it turns out that this is based on an international best-selling books and the perfect Christmas sequel to the national hit film A Street Cat Named Bob. See, because Bob's the cat. It follows James and his best friend Bob on their new journey together. From the day James Bowen rescued a street cat in the hallway of his sheltered accommodation, they begin a friendship which has transformed both their lives and touched millions around the world. In a gift from Bob, James looks back at the last Christmas he and Bob spent scrapping a living on the streets and how Bob helped him through one of his toughest times, providing strength, friendship, and inspiration, ultimately teaching each other about the true meaning of Christmas spirit along the way. Thank you, Bob. Matt, which
1: should we be streaming this week? This week I'm going to recommend a film that is a, a bit of a curveball. It's a kind of coming of age drama that has a bit of a sci-fi twist at the end. I'm talking about Never Let Me Go, the based on the novel by Kazuo Ishiguro, um, starring Carey Mulligan, um, Michelle Williams, and Andrew Garfield, about three individuals who grow up together on an idyllic uh, English boarding school. But um, they face their future with a bit of sadness and dread. It's a good, sad, um, little kind of film that I I really enjoyed. And I really like the twist at the end. And where is that streaming again? HBO Max. HBO.
0: You know, that's good, Matt, because I've almost bought this on Blu-ray like 10 times. Really? Because there's times when it's gotten down to like seven, eight bucks. And I'm like, oh, Mm -hmm. I should just get it because I really liked it. But I'm like, I'm not going to watch this again because it's so heavy at times. But it's... Really interesting, and I really liked it. So, if it's on HBO Max, I'm gonna have to work it in there while it's still on there. Thank you for that one, man. All right, let's go ahead and let's wrap up this body horror marathon with a film with barely a dusting of body horror. (laughs) Let's talk about Dead Ringers. Oh, there you are.
2: Here I am. I've been really looking forward to this. Well, uh, Claire Niveau, this is my brother Elliot. Hi, Claire. I hope Bev's told you what a big fan I am of your movies. No, he hasn't. As a matter of fact, he hasn't mentioned you at all. Really? Mm. That's not very flattering. Well, are you going to sit down? Yes, I am. I feel such a fool, actually. I must be the only woman in town who doesn't know about the fabulous mental twins. What
0: are you drinking? Nothing.
2: I want to be very sober right at this moment. I want to be very clear.
0: Ooh, Matt, that sounds heavy. She's got something important to say. Mm -hmm. So Dead Ringers, a film by David Cronenberg from 1988. Kind of a psychological thriller film, Matt, where... Jeremy Irons plays two roles. He plays the twin brothers, Elliot and Beverly Mantle. They are gynecologists in a super successful practice in Toronto, right? And there's something off about the two of these guys. So, Matt, this is a fairly well-regarded film as part of Cronenberg's canon. I had never seen it. And I had recently blind bought it as part of a Amazon Scream Factory sale because it was like 11 bucks. So I'm like, I love me some Cronenberg. So how bad can it be? So Matt, how is Dead Ringers? Was it worth me buying that blind purchase?
1: Yeah, I think it was worth you buying that blind purchase. It's definitely not the Cronenberg that you come to think of. It's not the Cronenberg of Rabid. It's not the Cronenberg of The Fly. But out of all the films we've seen, it's far and away the most competent of the ones that we've watched for this, uh, this marathon.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, well, let's let's not get ahead of ourselves, Matt. We can talk about what the best film <laughs> is when we get to the horror movie awards or the body, sure. horror, body horror awards. But yeah, and there is, like I said, there is just a dusting of body horror in this. There really isn't. I'm not sure if we can even justify having it included. But it's part of the marathon, so it's in. If what I understand, there's actually a deleted scene, too, where there's like a demonic twin that's still inside one of them that gets okay. – extracted but it's actually not in the film and i don't know what you say it's not cronenberg this thing feels very cronenberg-esque the entire time now it's not overly graphic and gory like some of his films are particularly something like the fly right but still it is vintage unsettling cronenberg it is a weird disturbing tale Right. And I think it is exceptional stuff. And for me, Matt, this felt Cronenberg esque the entire time. It's, you know, I don't know. I don't know what it is. If it's the look, how he shoots these things, his aesthetic, like having the the surgery operation gowns, everything being this kind of deep, lush, I'll say blood red. I mean, right. And it's uh, really good stuff. I don't know. What do you think? You, you, you felt it didn't
1: feel like a Cronenberg film? Well, it didn't. Maybe it's more because you associate. Cronenberg with some hardcore body horror and that's like you said that's not what we really get here um I think you're right it does have that kind of vibe to it and it does have the his look to it but I don't think it's uh, necessarily what you would consider representative of Cronenberg as this body horror groundbreaking pioneer I think that's I will I can
0: give you that because if you're gonna go rabbit shivers, right? You're gonna go videodrome. You're gonna go scanners. with a fly, right? Like that's. But I think this is the big. This is part of his shift, kind of out of that. And the Dead Ringers is still a dark film, with some really heavy, disturbing subject matter. So you can get your squeals and your squirms uh, out of that. Of just what the subject matter and the presentation of this film and what's really happening between these two brothers. And let's talk about Jeremy Irons. So when I watch movies like this, Matt, I'm obsessed with spotting the dual performance, kind of the stand-ins, right? Mm-hmm. For the guy, when they're in the same shot, and you got the back shot of of the uh, stand-in and you have our lead actor because you're not going to have them both in the same time. Well, first off, Cronenberg solves that pretty easily, pretty quickly, where they're in the mm-hmm. same shot and it looks entirely realistic. It doesn't look, um, oh, I'm blanking on what they call it, when you have that, that separate focus thing, right? Or it doesn't look like one's laid over the other at a later sure. composite shot or anything like that. It looks like they're in the same shot together. There are times though that you know they're doing the uh the stand in. But I will say, usually when these kind of things where I'm like focusing on looking for it every time it's out and I'm like Leonardo DiCaprio in that once upon a time in Hollywood meme where I'm sitting in my chair and I'm standing out and pointing. <laughs> right. Um I-, I lost that about 10 minutes in. And I became just enraptured by jeremy irons in this film the way he superbly and subtly inhabits both of these characters so well it gives them each little indiscernible little kind of things each one so you're able to kind of tell each one apart and it is the performance in this is just fantastic what do you think about our boy irons
1: yeah, I thought he was great. I mean, I think uh, he really pulls it off At because at one point, it really is kind of hard to tell them apart. But as you kind of sit there and go through it and they progress, you can definitely see the two different personalities starting to come come out. And I think it's, it's masterful the way they kind of lay that out as the story goes along and their plots and stuff begin to unravel.
0: Yeah, man. And I will say too, I think the ending fits. And it's totally, I think, what Cronenberg was building to the entire time. Though I did... I will say I was a little underwhelmed by it.
1: Yeah. Well, this is apparently based loosely on a true story. Right. On a pair of gynecological twins who, um, I guess they were drug addicts. And I think they died like within days of each other and like in the same apartment. Um, Nobody's quite sure what happened. But yeah, I guess that's kind of where you're going towards that. But um, he did seem to make it a little bit more a little less explicit than i would have thought he would have gone for i thought he would have had a little more guts in doing that mm, fair
0: yeah and one thing too i got out of this film is i didn't know jill hennessy had a twin sister she does <laughs> you oh, know okay. jill hennessy from law and order that's how i know her and of course was it Crossing jordan was that her show on tnt or tbs whatever it was for the longest time she got got twin sister no idea good times all right matt for me, vintage, unsettling Cronenberg, great stuff. I'm glad I bought it. I did the Scream copy, which includes the theatrical release as well as a different director preferred aspect ratio, which I have not watched yet. And I from what I understand, the color timing on that one is a little different. I haven't checked it out yet. I'm sure I will. Maybe next time I watch this. But Dead Ringers, Matt B plus for me.
1: Yeah, I gave it a B plus as well.
0: Look at that. Straight down the board, we agree on every single film. <laughs> Keeping you guys in suspense. That's tension. Really, you're here because of the love between the two hosts. That's all that really matters. Mm-hmm. Not so much um, your traditional horror film, but a dramatic thriller. And I think well worth checking out. Dead Ringers is available to stream actually right now on Amazon Prime. So if you want to check it out, you can do there. Or I think the uh, Scream disc is still relatively cheap. You can probably pick it up for 15 bucks or so. Good times. Just an email, feedback at thefirstrun.com. Share your thoughts on Dead Ringers. Matt, let's close it up, and let's reveal our awards for our Body Horror Marathon. Will anybody from this film make the cut in any capacity?
2: Judy's pregnant again. Hey, that's great. They're great, thanks. It's a third try, you know? I hope this business doesn't screw things up. How many weeks is she? 14. She lost the other two about the same time. This'll be all she'll need. I suppose you'll um, have to tell her, huh? Well, I'm not very good about keeping secrets from her. Anyway, Steve was a
0: friend of ours. Poor guy. He must be going through hell now.
2: Special moves. Except for you know, occasional clashes, but no pattern. He's gonna need human cells to live on.
1: His instinct was killing the kill. That's why he killed the nurse.
0: Yeah, so I wanted you all to have to hear that and experience the gripping commentary <laughs> <laughs> there between those two guys. The reason why that is so loud is because the two leads there from the incredible melting man, no two leads, the the two actors there are, um, just on this transport for some reason being brought down a hall for a reason that I don't quite
1: know. Right. Well, because they're in some kind of industrial space that they're using. That's supposed to be a stand in for some kind of government hospital. Right. It's just ridiculous, but (laughs) wonderful all at the same time. It is. It really is. So,
0: we are going to do our Body Horror Marathon Awards, Matt. We're going to do actor, actress, direction, film, and then, of course, the most disturbing body horror of the marathon. Of
1: will okay. close with that one, I think, Matt.
0: So, why don't you start us off? What was the best actor in our horror marathon?
1: Um, I think there's really only one answer for this. That's Jeremy Irons. Um, he's the only one who can, seems that he can act in any of these films that we watched for this uh, marathon.
0: Yeah, I think really uh, this is going to be pretty quick. (laughs) I think this is going to be the uh, Dead Ringers Horror Awards at this point. But yeah, yeah, I get get Jeremy Irons clearly far and away the best performance. Because if we're all being honest, folks, a lot of these films, you're not there to watch these performances, right? You're there for one thing, and that's something really super gross is going to happen. Right. So, but... Your traditional, your best performance is clearly Irons. So then Matt, the uh, best actress for me then, again, Genevieve Bejold from uh, Ted Raiders. I don't... I was going through this. I Maybe I can make an argument for Ki Fujiwara from Tetsuo, the Iron Man. Maybe it was his girlfriend. That would be a stretch. (laughs) I know. I just... (laughs) I don't know what else we could go with. I mean, Marilyn Chambers wasn't horrible and rabid, but she wasn't good. And Tokyo Gore police is just so... Ugh. Yeah. I don't know. So it's... Yeah, it's Genevieve. What about you? Yeah, I
1: think uh, Genevieve Bujold is the, is the only answer here. Which is unfortunate because I think... A lot of these marathons, we come to ourselves and we say, you know what, there weren't a lot of female voices in these in these films. So like you kind of just gotta pick one. But I can say without a doubt that in four out of these five films, there aren't any good actors of any kind. Yeah. Whatever gender you are in these films, except for what's in Dead Ringer?s*.
0: Yeah. No, you're absolutely right about that. All right, Matt, best direction. Cronenberg. Yeah. Four Dead Ringers. I mean, it's just... <laughs> The segment is a complete waste of time until the last, the last category, I think, really, right. is the only thing that's going to count. Um, right. Yeah, it's Cronenberg. I don't know. Now, listen. Again, I can make an argument for Shinye, Sukumoto for Tetsuo. Mm. Just the sheer ingenuity of making that film with the budget he has, black and white, just over an hour, and the insanity of it is something to respect and to behold. All right. So I will give Sukumoto his props on that because he deserves it. That thing is a trip Mm -hmm. and is well worth your time. That's another blind buy for me, but it was on iTunes for three bucks. So let's not, you know, it's not all praise me No, It should typically be that way. But in the end, I think it's Cronenberg. It has to be. So there you go.
1: Alright, well so then what's your let's get let's get the put everybody out of their misery. What's the best film of this marathon? Yeah, it's it's Dead Ringers. There's just no Yeah. I yeah, it. Dead Ringers is is the obvious choice, but I will say, I will say I found the Incredible Melting Man to be almost sublime in its terribleness, and I kinda loved it for that.
2: Yeah. And
1: like you said, Tetsuo the the Iron Man. He had something to say, and he definitely said it. So I can respect that as well. Well, let's do that. Let's yank
0: out Dead Ringers. Because A, as I've said,
1: it's just a morsel of body horror in this film. That's a very appropriate term to use for the body horror in this film being a morsel. (laughs) So if you had to run these
0: down without Dead Ringers, what would you go with?
1: Oh, boy. That's tough. Um... So,
0: again, you have Rabid, Tokyo Gore Police, Tetsuo, the Incredible Melting Man.
1: Yes. I guess I would go with Tetsuo as the best of those although it's a best that i don't know if i would ever watch again i think if i was going to talk about sheer rewatchability i might go incredible melting man because it's so bad and it feels like it would be just get funnier every time i watched it
0: yeah that mm, i don't know i think tetsuo would would win a lot for me if it if we pulled out dead ringers i think that i would go actress for tetsuo i probably would go actor uh direction i would And, yeah, I think for film as well. I think out of these, Tetsuo would be the best film if we did not have Dead Ringers. Yeah. So there you go, folks. If we did not include that, it would be a Tetsuo fest for me. All right, Matt. What was the most disturbing
1: body horror? What stuck with you the most from this marathon? Um... So the one that seemed the most memorable was probably the melting scene from the incredible melting man at the end. I thought that was some really solid gore the way they were that, that Rick Baker was able to put together for that. But although I do have to give a shout out to Tokyo gore police, because you could literally take almost any scene from that movie and see something incredibly effed up.
0: Yeah. I think if anything, this marathon has been an embarrassment of riches for (laughs) body horror gore effects. I think, Tetsuo had its fantastic moments in black and white there. I think that Tokyo Gore Police is going to give you stuff that you've never seen. It's basically a nightmare cartoon. and But in the end, I think I got to go Incredible Melting Man. I think Baker's effects in that thing are incredible. I even said the thing with, during that show that it's like his calling card. Mm-hmm. Right? If you want to see what this guy's able to do with a most non-existent budget, this is what you're going to watch. And that scene at the end where he finally just melts away, really impressive stuff. So a horrible film that is at the same time delightful, but with some top shelf core effects. So I would probably go Incredible Melting Man is the best body horror experience of this marathon.
1: Yeah, this, this is. I have to say that when I recommended this marathon, I, ex- I did not expect it to be such a difficult run. It might be one of the more difficult um, um, marathons that we've done for the show. Absolutely.
0: We're going to have to start prepping too for next year, Matt, because we are basically fully booked for the rest of the year. Nah, yeah. uh, but for marathons for next year, maybe we'll once I, I uh, get my new computer, we can try to do some streaming. We can do a whole you know planning session thing and get loaded. Maybe we do like a New Year's Eve thing. Who knows? All right. Either way, next week on The Big Show, let me backtrack. What are your thoughts who would you give the awards to? Shoot us an email at feedback at com. Matt, coming up next week on the big show, The Eternals, which currently is the lowest reviewed Rotten Tomato score film for any of the MCU movies, directed wow. by an Oscar-winning director, Chloe Zhao. It looks like it's going to be gorgeous, and it looks like it's going to be boring. Mm-hmm. So we'll see what happens. I got to tell you, That trailer has been in front of every single film I have seen for two months now, if not longer. And I am so glad that it's finally here so I don't have to see that trailer ever again. (laughs) And that bad Ikea joke. Also, we'll be discussing Wes Anderson's The French Dispatch, also released. Mm -hmm. So get your ennui ready, Matt. It's going to be all...
1: Yeah fun
0: maybe I, I don't know i like anderson's work though there's some of his films like women limited i just loathe right. but some of his stuff is absolutely wonderful so we'll have to see where the french dispatch falls final segment currently is wide open so uh we'll have to figure out what we're going to do with that in the meantime check us out on twitter facebook instagram youtube do a search for the first run scroll 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 eventually you will find us Head on over to Apple Podcasts and give us a review. We'll read it on there and help other people find the show. And that's it. So we're going to go ahead and take an extended break. I hope everybody had a great Halloween. You can listen to our Halloween special too. That was a nice surprise drop. I hope you kids enjoyed that. In the meantime, make sure you take care of yourselves. Get vaccinated. We love you. We'll see you soon. Take care.
2: So, we don't have any crackers?